My name is Ethan Hood. I'm a physical therapist. I'll be your facilitator. And this month's podcast is on the Vestibular Edge Task Force and what exactly the Vestibular Edge Task Force is and how it can help us in physical therapy. Today we have two very distinguished panel members. We have Matt Shearer, who's a physical therapist, a PhD. He's the chief of physical therapy at the Raider U.S. Army Health Clinic in Virginia. Welcome, Matt. How are you? Thank you. I'm well. Thank you. Good. And we have Dr. Linda Horn, who's the assistant professor at the University of Maryland, Baltimore, in the Department of Physical Therapy and Rehab Sciences. Welcome, Linda. Thank you. Great. So as far as the Vestibular Edge Task Force, what is the Vestibular Edge exactly? Right. So actually, the Vestibular Edge uh, is essentially the most recent of, of six similar projects uh, that were spearheaded by the neurology section. Uh, EDGE stands for Evaluation Database to Guide Effectiveness. Uh, and essentially the brainchild for this uh, happened in 2006 in the research section. Uh, and it was essentially an opportunity for uh, various groups of providers who specialize in certain uh, neurologic uh, condition management uh, programs to, to develop uh, a series of uh, assessment criteria uh, according to which to better evaluate the existing outcome measures that are, that are out there in use clinically uh, and those same measures that are, are being uh, considered in, uh, in the rehab literature. So uh, back in 2010, uh, there was a, a group that did the stroke edge. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2011, there was an MS edge. 2012, we had uh, spinal cord injury and TBI. Those were launched at the same time. Uh, and then most recently in 2013, uh, the vestibular edge group stood up, as did the Parkinson's edge group. So uh, really the things that, that we were looking to evaluate these various criteria or various uh, outcome measures on uh, were uh, the strength of the psychometrics that were available in the research literature and then you know, overall feasibility of use and, and, and how they could be used uh, in a clinical setting. Okay. Now, now besides yourselves, um, who else were the members of the task force? We had um, several individuals, and they tried to get them from a wide variety of different <laughs> practices, but we had Elizabeth Denenbaum, Jennifer Fay, uh, Karen Lambert, Terry Rice, Jennifer Stoskis, and Diane Risley were all part of the uh, group that worked on this project. Okay, so there's quite a quite a bit of collaboration yeah. going going forth with this. Yeah, okay. and the other you know the other piece that uh, that that was important was that there be a, a broad cross section representation from the clinical community, from the academic community, and then from the research community. Uh, so we had you know different different experts in those different areas uh, weighing in uh, to to provide guidance on how these outcome measures are being used in different areas of practice. Okay. The one thing that was different, too, with this group was that all the other ones that have gone before us were all one single diagnosis. And in our group, we had vestibular dysfunction, which did include a, a wide variety of diagnoses. So it made it a little bit more challenging. We had to look at it in a little bit different way than some of the other groups did. Okay. Now, now how many different outcome measures were analyzed? So initially, uh, as, as prior groups had done, uh, Linda and I as co-chairs uh, essentially put together a list of about 76 uh, possible candidate outcome measures. Uh, and this was a combination of looking at what was available uh, on the neurology section to get a reflection of what's being used uh, in various areas of practice, you know, doing literature reviews, you know, talking to other subject matter experts in the field. Uh, we brought this list of essentially 76 measures to the group when we first met uh, at the combined 
sections meeting in 2013, and that was kind of our first, you know, group-wide face-to-face session. And we distilled that list of 76 down to to a more manageable list of about 46. Okay, only 46, correct? Only 46. <laughs> that is that is accurate. Only 46. <laughs> um, now, as far as that, basically you're just analyzing the psychometric properties within the literature, correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Um, now, as, as a PT, why would I need to use any outcome measures if I'm already successful in my practice? Well, I think there's a wide variety of re reasons why we want to use outcome measures. You know, one, we need to validate our effectiveness, and we need to show that in a very objective way, not just, you know, I think that I'm, you know, doing well with my patients. Um, I, I think, too, we're in with the insurance companies right now, they are expecting to see outcome measures. Certainly with Medicare, um, that's some of the basis that we're using to uh, define our severity limitations or our functional limitation reporting, and so we need to have that in there. And I think another reason, well, we can also use it for benchmarking against other places that are similar to ours to see how we really are matching up. And I think another way that we can use it is also for marketing so that we can go out and, you know, if you're marketing to physicians to show that, you know, I've got this percentage of success rate with this type of diagnosis, and I think that that can be very powerful. So I think we use it for a broad variety of reasons. Okay. Now, the other thing I think that, that these outcome measures do is they help us to, to better assess our own approach to management. You know, if you're, if you're making sure that you've got some measures that are looking at body structure and function deficits and you're looking at using some outcome measures that may be uh, trying to measure uh, your, your client's activity level um, and then you have some that are, are perhaps self-assessing their, their perspective on where they are in terms of participation. You know, in, in that, using that comprehensive model, you're going to make sure that your plan of care is addressing the needs, the full spectrum of needs that your, your client may have. Yeah, I would agree okay. definitely with that. And also, it's a really nice way to show our patients the progress. Sometimes it's hard for them to see in some areas because they're living it day to day, but then we can show them that they've changed on some of these measures. It can help them to really see where the changes have come from, too. Yeah. Okay. Now, are there, are there any specific outcome measures that, that we can utilize for a specific vestibular pathology, or are they just generalized throughout uh, vestibular disorders? So again, we, we, we looked at 46 different measures, mm -hmm. and we used a number of, of different criteria. Uh, and we should probably back up and just talk a little bit about what those criteria were going forward. Uh, again, the two primary things that we were looking at uh, were the strength of the psychometrics that were available in the research literature, and then more of a an assessment of feasibility or, or how useful those, those particular measures are, how, how realistic they are to use in a clinical setting. Uh, and so the categories that we used um, were level of acuity, so is, is the, the patient more acute, i.e. less than six weeks, or are there, is their symptom presentation more chronic or greater than six weeks. Uh, we looked at, at, as Linda alluded to earlier, uh, we looked at outcome measures and, and rated them based on their um, the strength of their psychometrics and their feasibility across different diagnoses, uh, which we broke down as uh, those with peripheral vestibular dysfunction, uh, those with suspected central dysfunction, uh, individuals who had uh, BPPV, uh, and then a, a broader category, which we termed other, which in this case uh, is mostly cervicogenic dizziness uh, types of, of presentations. Um, and then we also looked at a couple other uh, categories uh, relating to the utility of these measures in an academic setting, 
uh, and then their u utility uh, for research. So uh, certainly, certainly wanted to throw that out here. So the response to your question is, you know, are there measures that can be used across, uh, you know, all pathology as well? You know, it kind of depends. So. You know, if you're a clinician that is is looking at how we manage these folks based on the findings on your on your examination, um, you know, we're really letting the ICF model drive how we do the evaluation. So you're you're going to do a comprehensive eval. You know, you may identify deficits in postural stability or gaze instability or dynamic stability, uh, and certainly there are outcome measures that can be used to assess those. Um, Really, the strength of our rating then would depend largely on the strength of the psychometrics in the research literature, i.e., what types of studies have been done to look at folks with peripheral dysfunction and postural instability using that particular measure. Mm -hmm. So again, in many cases, the utility of the measures is, is equal and transcending across all of these different diagnostic categories. Uh, the challenge is the, the strength of the recommendation can sometimes vary somewhat based on you know, what's available in the literature to support a certain level or a certain category of recommendation, whether it's a better recommendation or, or perhaps not as strong a recommendation. And also just generally on their clinical presentation of what, is that, what exactly you see. One measure might be a better, something better to, to look at rather than another measure based upon how the patient's presenting to you during that day. Yeah, possibly. You know, and the other thing is that with some of these measures is that, you know, if we have someone that comes to us with what looks like maybe it's BPPV mm -hmm. and, you know, we do the testing, we still want to do some of the other testing to make sure that they don't have, you know, a secondary problem like a, a hypofunction. So we're going to do some of the other um, ocular motor exam or vice versa. We may have a patient that doesn't really sound like they have BPPV, yet if we don't test them, we may not find it because we know it goes unrecognized in uh, some of our patients, particularly our older adults. So that some of these tests can be used for a wide variety of our patients that are coming to us, uh, maybe for dizziness, because we need to kind of figure out what's going on. So. Okay. Yeah. Or that you know back oh, again back to your question too. Uh, you know, are are there some measures that are appropriate? You know, across all diagnoses. Well, you know, not that it's it's required, but you know, certainly if if you're looking to, you know, measure measure impact on on your client's participation right you know we, there are certainly participation level measures which to a certain extent transcend all of the various diagnostic categories so an activity specific balance confidence scale or a dizziness handicap inventory and I think in a lot of the clinics out there where, where folks are doing uh, vestibular management you know those are probably outcome measures that are are, are pretty widely used mm -hmm. okay are, are there any outcome measures that are that perform better than others in terms of their psychometric properties and, and strength um, of assessing the patient? Uh, well, certainly. I mean, and again, it, some of this depends. We, we really tried to base the strength of our recommendation on what was available in the literature mm -hmm. for, let's say, a specific diagnosis. Okay. So, for instance, you know, if, if we look at, say, some of the postural instability types of measures, so, you know, the four-squared step test or the modified sit-sib or, or things of that nature, the what's available in the research literature in terms of evidence, you know, there's certainly more studies that have been done in uh, patient populations with peripheral dysfunction or with central dysfunction using those particular outcome measures. Consequently, mm -hmm. our group was in a better position to make a well-informed and strong decision about 
the strength of psychometrics on those particular measures in those patient populations. Now, that doesn't mean that the feasibility changed. I mean, it's probably the same test, or it is the same test, whether you're administering it to someone with peripheral dysfunction or central dysfunction or BPPV, but the strength with which our group could make a recommendation as, as to how, how reliable or valid that measure would be largely depended on the research that's gone before. I understand. I understand. Linda, do you have anything to add? What we also saw was, you know, there's some tests, particularly with BPPV, that, you know, we use very commonly, Dixall-Pike, um, you know, sideline tests for some role test. And in those cases, they didn't get the highest recommendation, partly because of that lack of research. There's not a lot of research that actually looks at the reliability of those tests or the validity, yet they're an integral part of our practice. So that by giving them a lower rating doesn't mean that they're not valid. It's just that there's not research to really support at this point in time, those tests, but we all still do them as part of our clinical assessment. Okay. Now, now, as, as far as you know, because we, we see it in, in you know the magazines, you know, the Advanced Magazine and things like that. There's lots of technology out there for, especially assessing balance. Um, you know, there's some other technology if you look in the EMT journals and some of the EMT, EMT publications for assessing the vestibular system. Are, are there any specific pieces of technology that were analyzed that proved to be helpful in the clinic? Yeah, we actually, we tried, you know, we started, I think, you know, Lynn and I uh, had talked a lot about this with the group. You know, we were going to cast a very broad net initially and include potentially vestibular function testing. But when we really had to be economical about, you know, the use of time, we tried to really boil it down to uh, tests that would be more commonly used across the broadest spectrum of physical therapy practice. So in terms of technologies that we looked at, we looked at the dynamic visual acuity instrumented tests. Um, we looked at gaze stabilization, and we looked at the sensory organization test because those those three in particular are pretty widely used in in clinics that that specialize in the management of vestibular dysfunction. Okay. Um, so you know, there's certainly there's certainly good evidence. You know, very good in the case of DVA, and emerging evidence in the case of the gaze stabilization test. Um, and, and even the sensory organization test, you know, that, that has been around for, for quite some time and is probably widely considered to be the gold standard for uh, postural stability assessment. Uh, mm -hmm. However, you know, as we talk about the impact that, say, feasibility can have on a rating scheme, you know, even if you have you know, something that, that does a very good job quantifying, let's say, gaze instability, if to measure it you need a piece of equipment that is more expensive than what the typical clinic could support, that would impact the feasibility uh, rating on that particular measure. So even if the psychometrics uh, might suggest a higher rating, you know, if, if the feasibility is such that it can't be widely used across the broadest range of, of PT providers, you know, that, that would affect the, uh, the, the overall rating for that test. And as Linda said, that doesn't mean that it's not a very good test, it's just the extent to which we can make a generalization about the use of it um, for all practice settings uh, for for the, the management of vestibular mm -hmm. dysfunction. Okay. Linda, do you have anything to add? No, I think Matt covered that one. Okay. <laughs> so, so overall, what, what are the task force recommendations? Um, were, were there, you know, just in, in general vestibular therapy practice, were there any specific measures that, that as a practitioner, we, we should really pay attention to or, or, or utilize because, 
psychometrically, when you look in the literature overall, they had they had a very strong correlations um, with, with certain pathologies and or other measures. I don't know that we came out with these are like the standard core test mm -hmm. that you should use because particularly with this um, vestibular edge group, we had so many different diagnoses, so it really does depend on how that patient presents. And so we tried to present, I think, you know, what are the ones that have the highest recommendations in each of the different categories. Um, and so I think it makes it a little bit harder. It's not like there's a core set that this is the must-do. Okay. And that is actually, you know, the, the model that, that Linda alluded to is one that I think many of the prior edge groups have, have tried to do. And, and to a certain extent, that's, that's a more feasible task when you're talking about a single condition with a single etiology and a very common sort of clinical presentation. But, you know, certainly we have a broader spectrum. Uh, now, all that said, I mean, certainly, as I had alluded to, you know, the dizziness handicap inventory did, did quite well. Uh, many of the dynamic instability tests, like the functional gait assessment, the dynamic um, gait index, they scored very well, largely because there's a pretty strong research base to, to support the recommendation of those particular measures. Uh, but uh, again, you know, the, the soundest course would be uh, to look at those measures that one could use to assess a, a specific type of a, a patient complaint or presentation. And then looking at those, you know, try to make a determination of, well, hey, which one of these is, is the strongest recommendation uh, to make for the measurement of this, of this particular patient. Okay. Where, where can I find the task force recommendations? Well, the, the task force recommendations will eventually be up on the neurology website. Okay. Um, they're not quite there yet. They're going to be under the uh, professional resources under the neuro neurology section outcome measures recommendations. But then the um, additions and or the new forms that we've done for the rehab measures are going to be at rehabmeasures.org. And most of those should actually be up online now. I know they, they have been even recently adding uh, onesie twosies as they had them finalized. But uh, if one goes to www.rehabmeasures.org and queries a specific test, the results of our, of our work uh, should come up on a, on a rehab measures form, which is actually pretty comprehensive. There's a, there's a brief summary as to how why this particular outcome measure should be used, um, what particular body structure and function, activity or participation domains it may apply to, uh, essentially a, a synopsis of the research that's available that, that our group did to support the use of that instrument, um, as well as our overall rating as to the, the strength of that particular instrument. So whether it was uh, highly recommended, which would be a four, recommended, which would be a three, reasonable to recommend, which would be a two, or not recommended, which would be a one. Okay. And, and by and large for this group, I, I think it's safe to say we gave a lot of twos. And, and that's not because there aren't, they're not good measures to use. It's, again, just a reflection of the fact that the vestibular, vestibular research base may not be quite as as mature as some of the others that have come before us, let's say stroke, which okay. you know just has has more research available to support their recommendations. Okay. Now, as far as rehabmeasures.org, can you actually obtain any of the measures on there, or do you have to look elsewhere? A lot of them do have links 
to the okay. measures, and it will say if they're if it's not you know if it's a proprietary measure or something like that. So yeah, there are links to many of the measures through rehabmeasures.org. All right, great. Well, Linda and Matt, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate your time, and thank you for a great podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for uh, having us on.